You may be seated. You know, this morning, um, I texted my go-to guy, uh, Scott Lawler, and I said, I, I want to make this introduction right, and I, I need to know the titles and, and things like that. Well, Scott texted me back this, this long text, and I said, boy, I didn't want all that stuff. Tom Jones is a friend of this church. He's been here several times. Uh, we know Tom. And, and Scott actually put the number of years he's been ministering. And that's been rather a standing joke here, Tom. And so I'm not going to tell you how many years he's been ministering. But if you go to Sunday school today, we're going to be talking a little bit about Genesis chapter 11 and some of the genealogies there. And it's important to note that if Tom and I were back around the time of Noah and his sons, we would be considered young whippersnappers. So age is a relative thing. Uh, but Tom, we are, we are so glad to have you and your wife with us today. Um, and we're anxious to, to hear from you. Come on up, brother. Thank you for that uh, unusual introduction. <clears throat> I'm sorry that I have to sit, but I think you can hear me. I have a mic, and uh, it's good to be at Providence once again. We've been here a few times and uh, always enjoyed this time. Um, if you have Bibles... I would like for you to open them to that Hebrews 12 passage and keep them open. I, I, when, when I was growing up in the church, they always urged people to carry their Bibles to church. And it was back then when I learned that it was okay to scribble notes in my Bible and underline stuff. And it helps, I think, to look at the words of the scriptures while the pastor is talking. Um, one of the good reasons to do that is to see whether or not he's sticking to the text or not, because some pastors have this habit of running off in rabbit trails and, and uh, not really preaching what the Word itself says. So you need to check me out this morning. I want to be sure that you're doing that. If you don't have a Bible there, I'll try to pay uh, close attention. I'll try to remind you what the text is saying. But I want to begin this morning by asking, are you, any of you gardeners? Any of you have gardens? If you've ever been a gardener, I'm sure you know there's a whole lot of stuff you have to pay attention to. You have to pay attention to sun and shade and water and uh, soil, uh, fertilizer, <clears throat> and it takes a lot of attentiveness to grow a good garden. There's one thing, however, that you never have to pay attention to, and that is you never have to make sure that the weeds are growing because the weeds 
have a mind of their own. The weeds don't need your help. You ever notice that? And if you don't pay attention to the weeds, they will take all the moisture and the nutrients out of the ground, and you have a very hard time having a healthy garden. So you have to do your weeding. It's, it's no gardener's favorite job, but you have to do it. And I bring that up because I think it provides us with a good illustration of what the writer to Hebrews 12 is saying here when he suggests that it is possible to have a weed, a major destructive, noxious weed growing within your own heart and spirit. When he says to them, you see to it that nobody has a root of bitterness. And when he uses the word root, he's using botanical language. If you've got a root, a root goes down and it goes deeper, and as it does, it provides more and more nurture for the plant, and the plant grows larger. And the larger it gets, the more it has branches and eventually fruit. So if you have a root of bitterness within your heart, within your soul, it is likely to produce bitter fruit. And before long, it will probably crowd out the good fruit that God wants you to have in your life. The, the background of this passage, I won't read the whole thing, but the background here <coughs> is that the writer is saying life is full of hardship. And he's trying to train people to endure hardship knowing that it comes from the hand of God, that it's discipline. God does indeed allow hard things in our lives, sometimes brings hard things into our lives so that we will be trained in faithfulness, so that we will grow in godliness. He says, without godliness, no one's going to see the Lord. So Christians need to learn that sometimes when the hard stuff comes in life, it came so that you would grow in godliness, so you would grow closer to God, so your, your spiritual life would be more productive, so your garden would grow the way God wants it to grow, so to speak. And having said that, he says then, I want you to, I'm now in verse 12, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, he's not talking about the body. He's saying symbolically, you're worn out, aren't you? You get tired sometimes. It's like your inner spirit is drooping. Ever been there? You don't have to raise your hands. I know you've been there. You get weak. You get weary. And uh, you get out of strength. And you don't know for sure if you can go on. We've all been there probably many times. And he's saying, since I want you to view hardship as from the hand of God, don't give up. Lift up those drooping hands. Strengthen your knees. He means strengthen your spirit. And then makes this amazing statement. I'm skipping a couple of verses there. Then he says, see to it that you do not miss the grace of God. 
and that no bitter root grows to cause trouble and defile many. And I think what, I think what he's saying there, if a bitter root grows in your heart, you will miss God's grace. And he says, see to it that doesn't happen. See to it you're not missing the grace of God. My message this morning to you is exactly that. Make sure, as I talk to you this morning, that you search your heart for what's in it. Make sure that you see to it that your heart is not under the control of a bitter root because that can happen. Now, there's so much to say about this kind of thing, but let me make a couple of preliminary remarks about bitterness. What is bitterness? There are a number of ways to define it, but I like to think of it in terms of uh, extended anger. You get angry about something, or disappointed, or saddened, or hurt. Something injures you. Something comes along that's awful. It's negative. It hammers you. It knocks you down. It wears you out. It passes, but you won't forget it. You won't let it go. You cling to it. You cling to yesterday's anger. Something hurts you yesterday. It may have hurt you 20 or 30 years ago, but you still remember it, and you won't forget it. You won't let it go. It's bitterness now. It's begun to possess you. And if that happens, you're in real danger because you're forgetting about God's grace. You're missing God's grace. If you ever knew about it, the grace of God is not controlling your mind and heart. It's bitterness that controls you. And all kinds of professing Christian people have bitterness that they do not let go of. They can't forget what happened, and they won't forgive it. They won't let God give them a new day. The sun is shining, but all they know is that yesterday it rained and rained and rained. So they cannot see what is positive. They only remember what's negative. A couple of ways that happens. I think really only two major categories for... Uh, how we get angry and stay angry. We get angry at stuff outside of ourselves. We look out of our own selves and we see something out there hurt me, so I'm mad at that person or that organization, that company, that teacher who flunked me in high school 50 years ago. If I ever saw that person, I'd still remember the anger. Some boss who fired me someone who lied about me, but something out there hurt me and my anger is focused outward. The other way that it happens is we get angry with ourselves because of our failures. I did something many years ago that was so stupid, so, so wicked, so crazy. Why did I do that? It had consequences. It brought all kinds of other people into its orb, and it hurt other people. I'm responsible for that. I did that, and I can't forgive myself for what I did. Oh, I know the gospel says I'm forgiven, but the fact is I can't get over my failure. 
I won't let the gospel actually minister to my bitterness. So I stay angry with myself. And I don't just think that I failed in the past. I think I'm a failure. Actually, I can grow to hate myself. That's one of the most fierce forms of bitterness. So I think you get most of this. But the other thing that I want to emphasize in the verse is that the writer says that if we allow a bitter root to spring up within us, it will cause trouble and defile many other people. Did you ever meet somebody who is so angry, so bitter that they just can't see anything good? These are the kind of people who you bump into them and you say, good morning, and they say, what's good about it? They fight back if you see something good. Hey, it's a sunny day. Well, it'll rain. They've always got a negative comeback. There's, there's always something negative to negate what you said that was positive. You smile, they rarely smile. I always, I talk about this, always remember a man I worked with right out of high school. I worked in a factory, and this was the most miserable man. We hated to see him coming because his attitude was so rotten, it tended to defile us. It tended to ruin our good mood because he was just bitter. And so you see him coming, and <laughs> we would say, uh-oh, here comes trouble. You know, it was like, don't even want to see the guy because I know it's going to be negative. Hebrews 12 says, don't become like that. Don't be one of those guys. Don't be one of those girls. Don't allow a bitter root to take root in your soul because you'll end up causing trouble and you'll end up hurting other people. You will become a negative force. Don't allow this to happen. And you say, well, this is all good talk, but you know, there's some stuff that is so rough in life, it's just, it's so hard to, how do you get rid of it? Well, the writer gives the answer. He says, don't miss God's grace. You see, the whole point is, yes, the world is full of evil. The world is full of sin. The world is full of trouble. It's full of negative people, harmful people, dangerous stuff out in the world. But that's not the only thing in our world. There is grace in the world. Don't miss that. Don't go through your life just bemoaning how bad everything is, grumbling and griping, complaining about the evil. Yes, it's real. But don't miss God's grace. Don't miss God's grace. It'll only ruin you and it'll start ruining the people around you. Look for the grace of God. Well, where do you look for it? Where do you find God's grace? Now, there's tons of ways I could talk about this, but I'm going to mention three things, just kind of broad categories. And I think you'll have to agree with these things. The first thing I'm going to mention is just creation itself. The Bible will speak in a number of places of how God's creation 
speaks of him and his greatness and his goodness. You can see God's goodness just in nature itself. I'm the kind of person, and I imagine most of you are somewhat like this, if I get really tired of the fast movement and the, the uh, complexity of city life, I want to get to the country. There's something healing to me about seeing green grass and a lake and hearing the birds twitter. You can't hear them in cities sometimes. Just, just getting near the creation itself sometimes calms my heart and quiets me down. And if you know the scriptures, you know that the world of nature, the created world, is full of the mercy of God. One of my favorite reminders of that is when Jesus said, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God is merciful and gracious. And that means if um, you can be a really bad man and you can plant a garden, and you don't know God, you may hate God, and you don't give Him thanks for your garden, you just take credit for everything that happens, and God will rain on your garden anyway. God will rain on the garden of a wicked man. And that man may take all the credit for his healthy crops, but he couldn't grow one thing unless God was gracious and poured out the moisture on his garden. He doesn't thank God, but God is good to him anyway. There are so many ways in which God has been good to me and to you just by, just by providing the rain and many other natural gifts. Another way that you can find grace in the world, if you're open to looking for it, is in other people who have come to you and touched your life with God's grace. I don't have the time to go through all the passages in the Bible, but I spent a little time studying, finding all sorts of spots where the writers to the Bible would say, I, I thank God that he sent so-and-so -so to me because he ministered to me. He brought God's grace to me. <clears throat> think back on your Christian life. Just think about how it started. Think about how it progressed. Think about how it was that you came to grow and to become who you are today as a Christian, and you will think of the names of people. Somebody witnessed to you. Somebody explained the gospel truth to you. And you didn't know it till then, but they came to you with God's grace. You were down in the dumps, and somebody came to you and encouraged your heart. Maybe they didn't even say anything. They just put their arm around you. Maybe they prayed for you. But somebody was there. God sent somebody into your life, and through that person, grace touched your inner spirit. Praise God for the people who have loved us in the name of Christ. Th thank God for the humble, caring people who reached out to us and brought healing when we were sick 
I was hospitalized about a year ago uh, for over a month. And one of the beautiful things about being in rehabilitation was that I had a whole bunch of nurses who knew Jesus, men and women. And there were people who said, I've been praying for you, Mr. Jones. And they were cheery. And they would come in and I had one nurse who would always say, it's me, your favorite nurse, at 2 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and she was a bright light. She loved Christ. And I was hurting, I was sick, but she brought Christ's love to me. God's grace comes through people. And you and I would not be who we are without those people. And a little side note here maybe is that there's probably a bunch of folks in your life and you ought to make a phone call or just send a little note and say, I was thinking about you, how, how valuable you've been in my life, how much you mean to me. Of course, the predominant uh, overwhelming truth of the Scriptures with regard to God's grace is the gospel of Jesus. When God says, see to it that no bitterness grows up in your life, you can't do that by yourself. You can't do that with your own strength. You can say, I've tried and I've tried, but I can't get rid of this bad attitude. I've tried and I've tried, but I can't forgive that person. No, not by your own power. But there is a gospel power, which we all say we believe in. We claim to be gospel people. We believe the Word of God. Jesus died for my sins. And through His death, I am forgiven and saved forever. We love to beat that drum. It's truth. And we do believe it. And yet the question to ask yourself is, does the gospel change my heart toward those who have sinned? Now, in regard to that, I want to I'll pull back to one other passage that is so valuable on this matter of bitterness before I wrap, start to wrap things up here. In the book of Ephesians, should have had this put in the bulletin. In the book of Ephesians, Paul the Apostle, chapter 4, if you have a Bible there, verse 31, the Apostle Paul is teaching the young Ephesian church how to live for Jesus. And he's mentioned many things that they ought to do. They ought to stop lying. They ought to stop stealing. They ought to stop sexual sin. And, you know, they need to walk with God. And in verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you from all malice, along with all malice. Put these things away. I grew up on King James, and King James and some of the other versions put it this way. Get rid of all bitterness. And one commentary that I read points out that the verb, which is translated get rid of <coughs> or put away, that that verb in classical Greek often meant take out the garbage. So Paul is saying, search your heart for bitterness. And if you find some, that's garbage. Get rid of it. What do we do with garbage? 
we take it out. We dispose of it. If you don't, it stinks after a while. It messes up the place. And maybe you're going to go home today and start taking out the trash after this message. But Paul is saying, look into your soul. Any trash in there? Bitterness, anger, slander, malice. That's garbage. Get it out of your heart. Why would I do that? If somebody wronged me, if somebody hurt me, if somebody's still being mean to me, why would I get it out of my heart? Well, the rest of the passage is, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you really believe in the gospel, my friends, you're supposed to imitate it. You remember, the holy God of heaven has a whole lot of good reasons to be bitter with us because of our sin. He would be justified in punishing us for our sin. He would be justified in sending us to hell because we have rebelled against him and hated him and served ourselves first instead of him. If God wanted to be bitter toward us, he has good reasons. But he was not. He is gracious. Don't miss that. He sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. And anyone who will trust in that, genuinely repent of sin and trust in what Jesus did, will be forgiven. Now, I sit here in front of you knowing full well, full well that I do not deserve his forgiveness. I have not earned his forgiveness. I've been a Christian for many years. Somebody almost tattled on my years in ministry this morning. I've been a believer for all this time, but I have not earned God's forgiveness. That was given to me as a free gift because God is gracious. And Paul is saying, focus on that and imitate that. Otherwise, you will be imitating the evildoers of our world and growing more bitter all the time. Am I making any sense? So, are you looking at your hearts? Are you asking yourself, Lord, show me what is in me? Is there somebody I hate? Is there someone I wish to see bad things happen to? Are there ways in which in my heart I just, I grind my teeth when I hear that person's name? Are there ways in which forgiveness has not begun to cover the territory of your own heart? It can happen to anybody easily. And so we have Hebrews 12. See to it you don't miss God's grace. Don't forget God's grace. Whatever you do, don't forget what the gospel says. The gospel says you are unworthy, but you have been loved anyway. Be that way as best you can toward others. Because if you're not, you're likely to be guilty of one of the most common and yet least talked about sins of all. You're going to be guilty of the sin of unforgiveness.
unwillingness to be mastered by the gospel. And I think probably all of us, in some ways, need to repent of our unforgiveness, of the way in which we cling to the harm that has come upon us and miss the grace of God. I want to wrap this up by making a couple of comments about, well, first about the Lord's Prayer. You, you've probably all been taught the Lord's Prayer. You, you're, you're familiar that there is a petition in the Lord's Prayer that is just dynamite on this topic. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Now, if you really think about it, that is a really frightening prayer. Father in heaven, please forgive me in exactly the way that I forgive other people. Yike! I mean, are you going to pray that? Lord, I want you to forgive me, pattern your forgiveness after the way I forgive. Forgive my debts as I forgive the debtors, the debts of others. Does that mean we can earn our salvation by forgiving people? No, it does not mean that. But what it does say, I believe, is that unless the gospel has turned me into a forgiving person, I probably never understood the gospel. If you can't see what I'm teaching here, if you can't see that this is what the gospel demands of us and where the gospel leads us, you probably don't understand the gospel at all because you would rather have an unforgiving heart than a heart of grace. God help us that we do not name the name of Jesus the Savior and then harbor anger forever against evildoers. We should hate evil, absolutely. We should oppose evil the best we can. But we should love sinners and hope for God's grace in their lives. And sometimes the only way God's grace is going to touch somebody out there is through you. Because you love them anyway. We were... I won't go into that. That's a long story. <laughs> Let me just mention two other things and I'll wrap this up. If I trust in God... I believe his gospel and I trust in him. That means two things that I think really are helpful in fighting this battle within my own heart. The first is that I need to believe in God's goodness no matter what happens. Sometimes it's hard to believe in God's goodness because evil seems so overpowering. But the, the passage in the Bible that helps me most of all is the story of Joseph who forgave his stupid brothers for what they had done to him. And you probably know that story, all the evil that he went through, and yet God blessed him and made him in charge of all the, the food in Egypt when his brothers were starving. And when they found out who he was, they were scared silly because they had hurt him and they knew it. They had wronged him. And Joseph's answer to them is, don't hurt yourselves. It was God who sent me here. 
ahead of you for this very reason. Later on, he says to them, you meant to do evil against me. I know that. But God meant it for good. God's goodness is behind all of the evil events of the world. I can't explain that, but I know it's true because the Bible teaches that. The other thing that I would point out to you is that we need to trust in these times when evil seems superior, when evil seems to be winning the battle, we need to trust in God's justice because the Word of God says God knows where the evil is and vengeance, quote it for me, vengeance is mine, not yours, his. Vengeance belongs to God. If somebody out there has done evil against you and they've never been punished for it and they deserve to be punished, God knows their name and he knows their address. He can find them in his own way according to his perfect purpose. God will be just and he will punish those who need it. He will punish those who deserve it except for those who have run to Jesus for their salvation. Trust in the goodness of God, the grace of God, and see God's grace even in His justice against the evil world. Someday it will all become clear. It's not clear yet, but God is at work. And the Word of God tells us that God's truth, and that means his gospel truth, God's truth will triumph over all evil. Make sure it's triumphing over the evil in your heart. Don't allow bitterness to grow and take over. Make sure. My friends, see to it that none of you miss the grace of God because otherwise you will grow bitter and more so as time goes on. Praise God for His grace. We're going to sing this song, Oh, Happy Home Where Thou Art Loved. I know that this message has some application to your homes. It's possible for husbands and wives to get bitter toward each other. It's possible for parents to get bitter toward kids, for kids to get bitter with parents. You want a happy home? Seek the grace of God. Trust the grace of God. I guess I've said enough. Let's sing. <laughs>